and welcome back. Last week, we talked about what neuroocupation is. To review, it is how the brain impacts what we do and how what we do impacts the brain. This is important to occupational therapists because occupations are housed in the brain. So today, we are going to dive into what is making up the brain. We are going to talk about the connectome. What is a connectome? A connectome is a wiring diagram that shows a comprehensive map of all the neural connections that make up the brain. I encourage you to look up a picture. The wires represent all of the neurons, and where you see dots or a concentration of wires is where all the neurons meet together. These dots are known as synapses. It is easy to tell that just through these pictures, the brain is very complex. But how do we build a connectome? For our sake, we are going to keep it simple and avoid all the complex intricacies of brain development. What we need to know is that the brain starts developing in utero as a neural tube that starts developing around 16 days after inception. By the time you are born, your brain is housing almost all the neurons that you will need for the rest of your life. That's billions of neurons. Then, throughout childhood, the brain continues to grow until it is fully developed by the age of 25. This growth starts really fast for the first two years and then tapers off for the rest of the development. In fact, by the time you are two years old, your brain has grown about 80% of the adult brain size. But if you're born with all your neurons, how can your brain continue to grow? Well, there are two types of cells in the brain. You have your neurons, which are the main communication type of cell. These neurons are supported by glial cells. Glial cells work to support, protect, and nourish neurons so that they can do their job of communicating to each other and allowing our bodies to function. So with brain growth, what is actually growing and multiplying are all of your glial cells. And the cause behind all of this growth is the formation of synapses. Synapses are the connections between your neurons. At birth, you have all of the neurons, but no connections. Those are what are created through learning. <clears throat> These connections are formed through a process of conditioning. Simply put, a connection is made when something happens, causing something else to happen. For example, a baby moves their arm and touches their tummy. The touch of their tummy is going to form the association that when they move their arm, they can touch their tummy, or when they move their arm, they can interact with the environment. Now, the more the baby moves their arm, the stronger that connection will become in the brain. As a baby, we create a lot of connections really fast. In fact, a baby's brain forms 2 million synaptic connections per second. By the time they are two years old, there are 100 trillion connections. That's more than we have neurons. If that sounds overwhelming, that's because it is. When we are young, our brain actually creates too many connections. This causes a lot of brain clutter and makes it difficult to be efficient with our processing. Imagine if every time you went to move your arm, you had to filter through every arm movement you have ever made so that you can remember the right way to move your arm to achieve your goal. It would be exhausting. To make up for this, our brain begins to prune these connections. This starts at around the age of two. During this process, your brain gets rid of all the connections that you are not using and starts to focus building the connections that you use a lot. This is known as the use it or lose it principle. Connections that are used often are kept, and connections that are rarely used are discarded. This allows for the brain to work more efficiently because there is less brain clutter interfering with your neural connections and communication. With pruning, our brain is set up for efficient learning. We can actively participate in this learning for the rest of our life. This learning allows us to continue to build our connectome. But what does this process look like? 
We know from last week and from looking at the picture of the connectome that our brains are complex things. We tend to simplify the function of the brain by keeping it to a one-to-one -one pathway. Simple, one neuron makes a connection to one neuron. But our brains are not simple. What actually happens is that each neuron makes multiple connections with multiple neurons. Then through these multiple connections, a network is formed within the brain. The more this network is used, the more efficient it becomes. It becomes automatic. So what does this mean for us? Let's return to occupations. Occupations are housed in the brain. Each activity that we choose to do has a network of neurons that supports us performing that activity. Keep in mind, occupations are also supposed to be meaningful to the individual. How does that happen? The pleasure center, or the limbic system, is also housed in the brain. The limbic system is what houses our emotions and memories. When networks are filtered through the limbic system, they become more meaningful because there is emotion and memory associated with them. What makes occupations more meaningful? Like we talked about last week, when an occupation is stimulating, physically or mentally, psychologically rewarding, and facilitates relax relaxation and reduces stress, that occupation is going to feel more meaningful to the individual. Now, obviously there are different levels of meaningful in our activities. Brushing your teeth may not be as rewarding as your job or driving. The more complex the activity, the more complex the network in the brain. But regardless of their level of meaningfulness, if the activity is meaningful then the, at all, then the brain network is more likely to be used, which makes it more efficient in our brain. If the network is not meaningful, then we are less likely to use it and the network is more likely to be pruned. You either use it or you lose it. The connections that we use are going to continue to become stronger and more efficient. Those we don't use are going to become weaker and slower and will eventually be pruned out of the brain. So now that we have built the connectome, why do we care? We talked last week about how every one of our patients has a brain. This means that each have a connectome of their own that is filled with pathways and networks. And it is our job to be able to work within these networks to help our patients get back to doing what they want to do. This may include helping them to build a new network or to strengthen a pre-existing network. But how do we do that? A part of learning is reinforcement. Anyone that has taken a learning psychology course has learned about instrumental conditioning and knows that positive reinforcement will promote a behavior to continue to occur and negative reinforcement will stop a behavior. But what does that actually look like in the brain? Reinforcement helps us to shape learning by promoting and strengthening connections. This happens by activating the limbic system by doing something meaningful. When you are able to perform a task that is meaningful, it's stimulating, it's fulfilling, it promotes relaxation, then that makes you feel good. It is a positive experience that activates the limbic system, which strengthens that network and makes you more likely to do it again because you want to continue to feel good. And the more we do something, the more efficient the network becomes and the more automatic it becomes. Occupations are automatic. We call them habits and routines for a reason. The networks in our brains have been used so many times because they have continuously been positively reinforced so much so that we end up doing occupations without even realizing why we are doing it. We get up every morning and we brush our teeth because that pathway has been reinforced so many times that we wouldn't know what to do if we didn't brush our teeth in the morning. It's easy to see this and understand this concept for positive events, but the same is true for negative events. When you experience something 
and it causes you stress or anxiety, that network is still filtered through the limbic system. That network is reinforced by feelings of anger, fear, frustration, or any other negative emotion. These feelings make that network stronger and more efficient in response to a negative experience, the same way it does for a positive experience. <clears throat> so what contributes to making an experience positive or negative? Our brains and lives do not exist in a vacuum. We are living human beings surrounded by other human beings and interacting with the environment. There are lots of variables at play here. And the environment plays a huge role in our experiences and thus how our networks and connectomes are built. Our brain learns about envir our environment through the consequences of our actions. We experience the environment through our senses, sight, hearing, taste, smell, balance, all of that. In a very simplistic explanation, what happens is we have a sensory experience. Let's use smell. We smell cookies. Our nose sends that cookie smell experience to our brain. Our brain processes what we are smelling and associates it with a cookie. We know from past experience that we have enjoyed eating cookies. We then choose to eat the cookie and have another positive experience. This eating cookies network is then reinforced in our brain, making that network stronger, making sure that making it us more likely to use that network again to eat more cookies. Well, what if it was a negative experiment, experience? Say you don't just eat one cookie, but you eat 10 cookies and then you throw up. That negative experience will weaken your network. So the next time you smell cookies in your environment, you'll, you will remember that one negative experience and you may or may not eat that cookie. <coughs> With each of these experiences, our limbic system is used to determine how meaningful that experience of our environment was. To do this, we used our prior experience to guide our decision. This led to new experiences and learning. When we had a negative experience of eating too many cookies, we learned that eating cookies may not always be great, and that will impact our future experiences as we might choose to not eat the cookie next time we smell them. Think about how you may have adjusted your own current behaviors based on your own past experiences. That is your connectome at work. So we know the environment plays a role in influencing our life experience. Therefore, it is important that our brain is always processing the environment and is always reacting. Sometimes this is conscious and other times it is not. Our brains use habituation and inhibition to allow itself to remain efficient. We get used to background noise because we would rather focus on other things. We ignore other parts of the environment because it would not be appropriate for us to respond. We need to be able to do this in order to function in everyday life. Imagine how hard it would be to brush your teeth if you could not ignore how bright the light was or how loud the acoustics in the bathroom were or how cold your feet might be. Your brain filters through all the sensory information from the environment to focus on the important aspects to allow you to brush your teeth. There are many things operating in the networks of our brains that we are not consciously aware of. So what does that mean to us as therapists? It means that the environment and the context matter. Our brains and our patients' brains pick up a lot of cues and clues from the environments that we allow them to, that allow us to efficiently choose what networks in the brain to use. Would you be more likely to brush your teeth in bed or in front of the sink? Are you more likely to practice putting on your pants in the therapy gym or in your own room? Are you more likely to get dressed in a t-shirt or a hospital gown? We can use the environment and the context to help promote occupation. 
This is why we spend so much time trying to get an occupational profile. Yes, we want to know about their home setup so that we can prepare for a safe discharge, but we also want to know about the environment that their brain networks are used to functioning in so that we can facilitate that same environment and access those networks of the brain. Instead of creating a new network altogether, why not just modify the network that already exists? That is going to be so much easier and efficient for the patient's brain. You can also think about how the environment and context may inhibit the performance of occupation. Think back to our brushing teeth example. If you are in a bathroom and it is too loud that your patient can't focus on brushing their teeth, how can you modify the environment to allow them to access that brain network? There's a reason that the occupational therapy practice framework includes the context and the environment of the in-person. It matters. The context and environment play a key role in how your patient's connectome was built. And if you, as a therapist, are going to try and access that connectome or change it, then you need to start where their connectome starts, the context and the environment. This will impact what you do and what you do is going to impact your brain. That's neurooccupation at work. So we've built the connectome. Next time, we're gonna continue learning, learning about the connectome, specifically with how we can change the connectome through neuroplasticity. It's one of my favorite topics and I look forward to sharing why it is so important to everyday function and to occupational therapy. As always, thank you for listening and I hope you will tune in again soon. Thank you.